Welcome to the Cinematologist podcast. This is the first episode of season 16 and it's really great to be back with you after uh, what's been a long hot summer I think. Now at this point I usually introduce Neil of course but um, the first piece of headline news is that Neil is going to take a sabbatical for this season. Now there's nothing to worry about he is going to be coming back there's no fundamental creative differences i haven't kind of uh, kidnapped him and disposed of him somewhere kind of gruesome in like in some schlocky horror movie he actually needs to take time out to finish his uh, book on music documentaries and focus on on work and we've talked about that a little bit in the past you know the demands of the podcast it does take a, a lot of work in the preparation and the editing and of course the the recording, which, you know, we love doing. We're not complaining about that, but with higher education demands and with family demands and with wanting to work on other other projects, I think it was just the right time for him to uh, to step away. And uh, yeah, I'll probably be doing this the same myself because I do have uh, book and film projects that I, I want to work on. But he will be back for the next season and he sends everyone his warmest regards, and and we send him the same, and uh, he'll definitely be missed. So that left me really with a question for for this season, how to fill the Neil-shaped void. And I decided that I was going to have um, a series of guest hosts for this season. And luckily enough, I've got two guest hosts on this episode. You know, it's a chance to expand the voices that are on the podcast and to, you know, bring us as many different viewpoints as we can onto the show. And you know that we like to do that. So with that in mind, it's my great pleasure to welcome the producer, filmmaker, writer and previous guest on the show, James Dean. James, welcome. It's great to have you back on. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Dario. I'm uh, really delighted to be on with you. Yeah, so you, you've been on before, way back when we did the uh, Tony Monero episode, the Pablo Lorraine film. Um, I don't know, have you got any memories of, of that? What was the experience like for you? Um, I've got, yeah, really good memories of it because I think for, for everyone there, the film was just such a, such a surprise and the, re- the response in the room was, was great. And I think all of us, you know, just just felt like we'd seen something incredibly special and different and you know something from Chile that um you know where we don't see too much cinema and and he's obviously turned out to be such a significant filmmaker subsequent to that um and you know I sort of look forward to every film he does now but Tony Monero is kind of an early one where we really discovered him and uh, it was a just a fantastic occasion I think still think about it <laughs> We actually used your voice on one of our more experimental po- podcasts because you were so good at sort of getting into the weeds on that film. And I, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there pa- Pablo Lorraine, who obviously um, did Jackie and now has recently done Spencer. Were you were you a Spencer fan? Considering now, you know, obviously there's uh, what's going on, you know, with the with uh, the royal family and, and at the moment. I don't want to get into the politics or or anything uh, of that, but just it, it was a an interesting film, which I actually, for me, I wanted it to be a li- even more bonkers than it actually was. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, in this week where we obviously have kind of complete saturation um, of the royal family uh, for obvious reasons, I, uh, I was thinking about that film and how... Uh, it didn't quite 
deliver um and i think part of the problem for it wasn't its own fault but that the crown had kind of sort of stolen its thunder with a you know with a pretty pointed depiction of charles and diana um in that series and so it was it was sort of left very little room for him to sort of say anything truly new or interesting and even though she was excellent in it kristen stewart um yeah it didn't quite it didn't quite break through, I didn't think, into a sort of, um, in the way that it needed to on the back of The Crown. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I, I to be honest, I haven't watched The Crown and I'm not a, a kind of a royal film follower or TV follower. But yeah, I thought Kristen Stewart was great. And I, I, I kind of appreciated, you know, some of the kind of weird gothic uh, aesthetics in it and that that whole psychological thing about food as well but yeah it, it just kind of it kind of didn't didn't land i don't think as 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 you say but always a filmmaker lorraine who i'm looking forward to to seeing his uh, his movies i mean um just just for yourself james i mean i know obviously the the, the audience gets to know myself and neil's tastes in films <laughs> you know in nauseating detail but i don't know do you have a kind of sort of self reflexively have a taste in movies or are you somebody who will take anything on on face values what's your usual go-to kind of film um i can watch anything for sure i you know i'm not averse to going to the cinema and watching some hollywood stuff so i'm not big on the marvel universe or you know i i like original work where i can find it um that's kind of a marker for me and you know for the last few decades, my my favourite filmmakers have been Coen Brothers, Pedro Almodovar, Wes Anderson. Um, those are the, and before that, Woody Allen. But it, those are the filmmakers that have kind of followed me through my life. That I've I've always I've always felt were were my filmmakers. But you know, there's just always amazing films to discover every year from all the corners of the earth. And I'll literally go and see anything I can. Um, you know, if I have the time. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's part of the ethos of the show is having that kind of open mind. And, and you know, you mentioned the Coen brothers there, of course, um, just a trailer for later on in the season, you're going to come back and do the live um, Blood Simple episode. So really looking forward to that. But maybe before we get onto the uh, the main bulk of the show, you know, with your own work, your own sort of uh, producing, can you say anything about what we talked about the other night um, at the venue about your up and coming independent film? Because it sounds amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've worked with some writers and uh, director before on another feature I made called Discoverdale that was about, you know, almost a decade ago now. And um, we've been developing a project ever since then called Apocalypse Clown that we finally got the funding for and made earlier in the year. And that's, we're just finishing it off now. We announced it at Cannes. Um, It stars David Earle, who was in the brilliant Brian and Charles that came out uh, a few months ago. Um, And yeah, we're we're really excited about it. It's about four clowns on a a sort of mad road trip across Ireland, um, trying to to uh, turn the power back on, the power's gone out. And of course, it's a sort of voyage of self-discovery for them and what it means to be a clown and so on. But we're really happy with it and we're, it should come out next year at some point. And uh, um, yeah, hopefully we can, uh, I'll have a bit more to say about it um, in a few months time when we do the Blood Simple episode. Yeah, for sure, and 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 definitely, it sounds like something that I think will be really great for the the, the students um, at my new university. So uh, yeah, that that would be great to screen it there. 
So the the other reason that that you are a great choice for this episode is because that you were at our first live screening. So um, we went up to the uh, the Manchester Home Cinema, which had been kind of we we sort of organised this a while ago, and it came out of conversations with the fantastic Caroline Katz, who we'd covered her film. Um, Delia Derbyshire, The Myths and Legendary Tapes, which was a great film, a great sort of experimental um, documentary which kind of blurred the boundaries of truth and fiction and not your typical biopic, but just a, a fascinating piece of work. And, and Caroline was such a, an interesting persona with a passion for cinema. And we said to her, you know, is there anything you fancy screening back in Manchester? Because that's that's where she's from. And after sort of a, a little bit of uh, back and forth, we or she decided that um, we would screen Alain Tanner's Jonah, who will be 25 in the year 2000. I don't know whether that's the longest title we've had on the, the cinematologist, but it must be close. So this was actually, you know, directed by Tanner, but co-written by um, him and John Berger, who is, you know, a great inspirational writer, critic and artist to, to Caroline and myself, particularly for me with with ways of seeing that that classical documentary. I'd heard of Elaine Tan- Tanner, but um, I'd never watched any of his films, let alone this one. And I, you know, I purposely didn't didn't watch it beforehand uh, because I wanted that kind of jeopardy in the room, knowing that Caroline loved it and had uh, seen it so many times. Um, James, I don't know. Did you come to this film like completely blind? And 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 did you know anything about um, the filmmaker? Uh, I'm exactly where you were, Dario. I was. I'd heard of it because I think because the title is so eye-catching. Um, you know, it's like. <laughs> It's a deeply uncommercial title in a way, uh, which made me laugh. And, and I felt like um, that that I'd seen it in, you know, flicking through maybe the BFI brochure or something like that. And it definitely caught my eye. Um, and I, I just heard a little bit about it. But when you guys said you were you were going to see it, I was like, I've been wanting to see this film for years. You know, that's. That's one of the great things. I was I was uh, glad to be in Manchester to uh, to come and uh, see it with you. Um, yeah, and it, it definitely delivered. Uh, it was great. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, again, it was. I think you'll hear from the uh, Q and A. It's if for us on on stage. I think. I mean, Caroline was was talking a lot about it because she'd seen it many times. I found it quite difficult to talk talk about because, and that's unusual for me. But it was just so brimming with ideas that were interconnected in so many different ways. And I think with the audience, there was about twenty five or thirty in the audience, a very mixed group. I think, and they came out with some amazing stories, which you'll hear right now. Um, and and. Yeah, James. I think we'll 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 sort of uh, pick up on some of those afterwards because it really hit me on on kind of an emotional way, much more than I'd anticipated. Listening to some of the stories that came out um, in the uh, in the Q and A afterwards. So let's let's get straight into that. So this is myself with Caroline Katz at the Manchester Home Cinema, introducing and discussing Jonah, who will be twenty five in the year two thousand. So 
Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, welcome to the Cinematologist podcast live from Manchester Home Cinema. Um, this is the first episode of the new season. It's great to be live. This is the first one live we've done since COVID. Um, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my co-host for tonight, who was flown in especially for this event, the director, writer, actor, all-round renaissance woman, Caroline Katz. Thank you very much, Caroline, for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for coming out this afternoon. Um, so I had an entire intro planned out. This is what I was going to say. This is how I was going to intro everything. And then two days ago, Elaine Tanner, the director of this film, passed away. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to rewrite that, you know, a little bit more focus on, on uh, Alain and his, and his movies. And then this afternoon on the train up from London, Jean-Luc Godard dies. Very, obviously very sad. I'm not making light of it at all. But I don't want this to be one long eulogy. But Caroline, I don't know, what do you, what do you make of all this? Is this sort of a further reminder that cinema of the 20th century, when it was right at the heart of cultural, social and political conversation, I suppose, that's now kind of getting further away. How do you feel about these sort of guys passing away? Well, haven't they left us such an amazing legacy and incredible, inspiring films that have been groundbreaking and all those sorts of things that people are saying today because um, so Alan Tanner is not as, as well known as um, Jean-Luc Godard, no. but I think they sort of definitely have their roots in a similar school and a similar yeah. place. Yeah, so Alan Tanner isn't as you know as, as well known as, as Goddard, but he had an incredible um, body of work, um, an individual, unique mind, a brilliant collaborator, um, always fascinated by different methods of storytelling in yeah. film and breaking new ground. So in that respect, I I think like all great artists, they remain. They will remain and their, their work will continue. And so, yes, whilst they're gone, reverberations of, their, of all of their work will, will be ever-present. Yeah, think. and, and mm. what's interesting, we'll come to this in a second, is this, this film particularly, I didn't really realise how many great filmmakers love this movie. It's like in, in their sort of, uh, you know, their pantheon of, of movies that, that influenced them. But maybe we could kick off just very quickly with, with yourself. You're from Manchester mm. and... I was just wondering, you know, it's it's an area you've you've hung out in before, before all of this building was was here. So I just wondered how how much the city sort of played a role in your formative experiences, particularly around cinema. Yeah, um, it's really amazing. I had a I got up early this morning and and had a walk around. I mean, there's no hardly any reference points. You know, I left in 1988, which sounds like a thousand years ago now, doesn't it? When you look at the city and how it's changed. This is a city that I've, I've absolutely loved. I um, probably turned 16 when the corner house opened or maybe 15, something like that. It was a massive part of my life. It was of my teenagers. It was you know, that little corner, I was, if I wasn't at the corner house, I was at the Hacienda or I was at the Ritz or whatever. I mean, this little sort of pocket of town was my everything. The corner house particularly, I remember getting in to see Sid and Nancy before I was old enough. Wow. Um, I remember seeing Subway, that amazing French film, Betty Blue, 
loads of Goddard films. I mean, you know, it was a massive education, yeah, you know, yeah. and a really, we were so lucky to have it. And I think in terms of um, filmmaking, storytelling, being an actor, how lucky was I to have the Library Theatre and the Royal Exchange Theatre? This was all in the 70s and 80s. It was a fantastic place to be exposed to art. I think it always has been. And it's, um, it's amazing seeing it thriving the way it is. Um, and it's even more exciting now than it than it was then so but I don't recognize it yeah, <laughs> I find yeah. it really hard to find my way around I had to really I absolutely insisted that I was not going to put my google maps on to get here today <laughs> from Princess Street because I thought that would be really really sad if I couldn't even get myself down here but I, it did take a while though I will say that yeah I couldn't do anything as uh, romantic as that because I don't know the area <laughs> I'm afraid you know to get guy to get here um and obviously, you know, this is an amazing, you know, a venue. As we were walking up, I couldn't believe how, how big it was on on each floor. And it's wonderful to come out again, you know, with the podcast to, to different cinemas. And I mean, again, you know, as a filmmaker, there are advantages with this shift to streaming, which has been exacerbated by COVID. And that does have its advantages. But, you know, I'm a big advocate of the, the screening experience. And I'm sure sure you are coming out to the, the mm. cinema and, have, you know, having this environment to watch films in. Yeah, I mean, I think this film is such a great a, an amazing film to revive and I hope that there's going to be more attention on it it was really brilliant to see it so featured in um, Alan Tanner's obituary they speak about it a lot this I was really fascinated about this film because I came to it because of John Berger I had been a big fan of John Berger's for years and years um, right his his writing firstly sure. and also his um, theatre collaborations with Simon McBurney for Complicite I was really fascinated by and then I saw him and Simon McBurney speaking about a piece they did the vertical line right. and it was this amazing piece that was like a sound piece um, and they explored and excavated in a sort of um, you know vert <laughs> history in a straight line and they describe time as a vertical concept rather than a horizontal concept. And that just absolutely really blew my mind. And they yeah. sat there in the cinema. I'll, I'll go on and on about this later after <laughs> we've seen the film. But anyway, um, watching them both, listening to them talking about that and um, talking about time in storytelling and that sort of archaeological thing of it all, almost being like a kind of a, a vertical corkscrew where all, all, all of this information we carry down and up between right. cultures and through generations sure. culturally and sort of personally yeah. and you know I think you were asking me about the, the legacy of these these films as well these fantastic films I think it it isn't like it just sort of stops you it's like a sort of a, a baton of ideas and I'm really interested in those collaborations that sort of keep ideas expanding and moving on mm. and um, the, the sort of source of them becomes sort of almost it, you know, something like you can't quite yeah, yeah, yeah. put your finger on. And I th I think the cinema of Alan Tanner and John Berger together, they they really explore that idea. And in that talk with, with Sam McBurney about the, the um, vertical line, they really sort of investigated that. And that's when I heard about this film. And then they did a retrospective of Berger's work and they screened the film at the Prince Charles Cinema and it was probably 2009 or something like that. And um, it... 
absolutely just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I was so touched by it and so moved by it. And I couldn't really articulate what that was. Um, found it on DVD, watched it again, had very similar feelings, looked into it more. And we found out that um, Alfonso, Alf Caron. Alfonso Caron names it as his sort of second most important influential film as well. He, he really um, says that his film, his sort of dystopian thriller, The City of Men, was really, he says, actually ripped off from this film, which is such an interesting, again, an idea that, that that thing of that exchange of ideas um, really interests me, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of what happened and how I just f discovered the film for myself. But you never get to see it at cinema, hardly ever. So for me, it's very exciting to share it with you today and um, we'll get to see it properly. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, fantastic. Thanks very much for that. Caroline chose the, the movie. It was the first one that kind of popped up in her mind. What we've done is, I haven't seen it before, so it's my first time. So we have this kind of differentiation where you've seen it many times, I haven't seen it at all. And please come back afterwards. We'll have Q&A time to d d discuss what you guys felt about it as well. So this is Jonah, who will be 25 in the year 2000. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for staying. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where to start. I mean, look, I can talk about films for, you know, forever, but there's like, I don't, I literally don't know where to start. There's so many ideas sort of I know. bursting I think that, that was the first thing. When I um, watched it again, re-watched it uh, a few weeks ago, I had a piece of paper in front of me. I thought, I'll just write notes all the way through. And at the very end, all I'd written was... <laughs> Ideas, ideas, ideas. It's just a film that's just full, full, full of ideas in a, in a way that's, it's not entirely overwhelming because it has a logic that it keeps repeating, yeah. which is really simple. It, but it's full of these, it's just, I feel it's really good-willed. I don't feel it's um, over-intellectual or, even though it kind of goes into yeah, areas yeah. like that. But there's a lot of charm with it i think and sure. it's a film about resistance and resilience and our relationship to one another and our relationship to the land and to the society world, to society and, yeah, and, yeah. and and everything i mean there's so many themes in it that obviously i mean it was just like watching it it's like if that was made now without the amazing beautiful 70s period costumes yeah you you could feel all those ideas we're right in that now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the, the, the. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought about that, but 
just the sense that it's still prescient and this idea of cyclical time and again it's related to the land i think but also talked about you know 1917 and then 45 and then 68 and you could add uh 92 2008 and 2016 and we're still having the same arguments in many ways over and over and i think it's a director it seems to me it's a director who's kind of reckoning with that that age-old question about how do you how do you resist the society that is imposed upon you yeah and you know even back then they're they're saying it's it's impossible to live outside of the system in this film and yet you think about it now how even more impossible it is to live outside of the system it's very much isn't it about the the um your your personal political experience and living within a structure yeah. and and how to reconcile these these two things and is that possible to still maintain your individual individuality with sure. this whole sort of system um around you and i think you know now if you put a sort of digital capitalist lens on that yeah it, it suddenly you you realize it expands, it, even, it, more, expands yeah. even more yeah 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 but I, I think as well i think it's really interesting it, it i i like the idea that they're talking about the fact that there is courage in expressing hope mm. and experiencing hope, and that that isn't um, it's not, you. You mustn't ever mistake that as naivety. Yeah, and that there's this thought that you know cynicism is death. I mean, we sort of know that in a way, mm. but I think this uh, you know that this, there's so many themes like that in it. But the, I mean, a, a simpler theme i mean a more fun aspect of it is did, did you notice that all the characters are got the letter m start with the letter mm, m yeah 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 a, all of them and i think that's apparently that is that got i didn't realize this till i looked it up today i was like what's the symbolism of m but m is ever creating life affirming and right I've got it. I've got it written down here. I'm but the letter is supposed rubbish. to be symbolic of yes, that, right? Okay. Apparently, that it, it symbolises beginning, a new beginning, never-ending cycle of creation. And I didn't realise as well that it's the thirteenth. That the M is the symbol for the thirteenth tarot card, which is also death. So I thought that that must all be in there. <laughs> I, I, I'd imagine if you could sit down with this film and take out all of the mm-hmm. elements, you could write like books on what everything means. I think yeah. it's it's. Yeah, so it's fascinating. And it's encyclopedic, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, the, the, there's so many little poignant moments. I mean, imagine sequences, dream sequences to a certain degree. Mm. The truth is there, but it's not in front of you yeah. because you've got the societal... Um, and sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah, hiding they're the truth, premonitions yeah. and sometimes yeah, yeah, they are. they're fantasies. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's just archive, mm. historical Absolutely, footage. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's really interesting the way they, they've used that. It's kind of totally punctuated by those sure. sort of moments that are driven always by the, whatever that character, wherever, whatever space that character is in at that Without. point. The other thing that really sort of, you know, kind of appealed to me as an aspect was the teacher, really, because that's what, what I do. And I definitely want to take a, a, a suitcase of blood sausages with a meat cleaver into my students next week, but I'll probably get arrested if, if I try that. But, you know, we... we in the universities and in schools as well, we're kind of encouraged towards this, what's called known as student-centered learning the, these days, where it's kind of like, you're not supposed to top down off, you know, an authoritarian style, just impart your knowledge onto the students. 
that kind of teaching style is seen as very old-fashioned now and you know dictatorial you have to meet the students where they are what's their experiences and and it's interesting how back even back in the day he's trying to do this where he's turning around and saying you know i'm not going to grade you on what you know you're going to ask questions and i'm going to grade you on how interested and inquisitive and curious you are Um, which is a, a again an interesting kind of uh, reversal in that sense. Yeah, and also Matteo, when he's trying to, um, you know, grow the children in the greenhouse by asking them questions. Yeah, yeah, imagining yeah. Imagining yeah. the question, you know, giving them sort of different kinds of questions than they would have in a conventional school. For sure. This idea of a, a progressive idea of learning them. I, I think when I first saw it, maybe, I thought, oh, is it, you know, so naive and idealistic? But I don't, I don't see it like that. The more I see it, I, I, I see these sort of other 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 layers where it's just people finding finding their sure. way through with a sort of an impossible context around them yeah. and um it doesn't seem so idealistic it seems about more about survival yeah. and resistance and i think that's something that yeah and, and, really and i don't know how uh, we'll, we'll come out for questions in a, in a second but like i really as the film went on i felt more and more i don't know whether the words bittersweet or a little bit melancholic that it is this continuous question of how do you deal with this the the society and the situation that 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 you live in you know most of us i would say again you can correct me if i'm wrong do what that the farmer said in that one of those asides where we build the bricks up around us so that it protects ourselves from the truth that 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 is out there so i think i read that as kind of meaning we accept the fact that we have to go out to work and we haven't got a choice in that, even if we don't like it. And we find a way kind of psychologically to to be able to to live in the world. Yeah, it's I mean, what I was going to ask, actually, you know, in relationship to your last film, um, which is called Delia Derbyshire, the myths, myths and legendary tapes, which you should all go watch. And the reason I want to ask you about that is because of the formal elements of the film, because your film has fictional documentary crossover and blurred ideas around what is truth and fiction and stuff so i wondered is that something that sort of influenced you from from this these ideas of reality and representation sort of blurring together yes those ideas of what where does the truth lie and that in the end it it is a, a a very subjective sure take when you look at like you know for me i was looking at delia's life and in the end i could only tell the story from the vantage point of this person that had absorbed so much about her from other people and it was so there were so many projections and so many ideas so the, the film had to become an investigation into her archive and finding a framework with which to do that which in the end became kind of I kind of in a way a bit more of a Brechtian take on it sure sure which sure. I think they do a lot in this yeah and definitely watching this opened me up to that idea of you know you just have to make as long as you you make your um vantage point clear yeah. then you can explore in all kinds of directions it's important to create that world very sure. early and soon and and I think I got that from then there. Yeah, yeah. As long as the structure works you can come out of romantic realism and the audience is smart enough, you know, <laughs> in in most cases to kind of understand what's going on. And I think you're right about this film where it it doesn't connect the vignettes in a specific way, way or a, you know, really on the nose kind of way, but still you know where you are yeah. at all times. And, you know? and there's very much uh, a sort of a lightness of touch with all the political ideas, all the philosophical sure. ideas, 
it, there's a lot of humour. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, it's not heavy handed. It's not this sort of polemic. It's not this message that you have to carry away with you. It's it kind of has um, it very much welcomes you in. Sure. And that's what I really love about the sort of work of John Berger as well. Reading yeah, it yeah. as well. There's always this sort of lightness and welcoming in of ideas and exchanging of ideas. And I think that was another thing that really inspired me with that. It's sure. like because some of the. You know, that idea of um, trying to do something that's a bit more Brechtian, as in you are exposing the fact that you're making a film and like, mm. like they were there exploring the different character, the different characters um, and doing sort of role play and singing songs to one another. Sure. And sort of, it, 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 you know, I, I would imagine on, on paper it might look, if you try and give that to finances, how, how yeah. it's going to look, you know. <laughs> yeah, going um, to write your proposal for your budget for this. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah, okay. How far you can push some of those really theatrical ideas in film. Mm. You know, like when you see something like Dogville and you see that really, really stripped down, that, you know, that Lars von, von Trier film. Sure. I've always been really inspired by how many theatrical devices work in a cinematic way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I really wanted to explore that in, in, in Delia for the, same, for the same reason that you're sort of exposing, exposing the, the, the content for what it is. As yeah. in, you know, this is not a biopic. Yeah. This is not a real representation of this person's life. This is a, a take and, um, and a gathered, gathered thoughts, gathered pieces of fragments of information. And again, that, that thing comes to me always with... John Berger's work in his writing, and I can see it in this film too. Yeah. That idea of there is no definitive truth about life or death. Mm. <laughs> you just have you have to find a way in and and, and frame it as a storyteller. Sure. Um, sure. So yeah, that interests me a lot. So any oh, we have a question already, sir? Please. First of all, I'd like to uh, thank you for bringing this film back. Um, probably haven't seen it since it first materialised, uh, came into the cinema. I actually have two nephews who were born in 1975, so it kind of chimes wow. with me anyway. Um, but the point I was coming to, I mean, I think you've touched on it, is the the fact that uh, Berger was an educationalist, and there's two two incarnations in, in Mathieu and, 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 and the... Uh, the secondary school teacher, and and the point I'm kind of thinking about is what if it was made today, as you kind of suggested it might, you know, uh, be what what would the themes be? And it seems to me that the major theme, obviously, of the day is climate change. And yeah, I'm kind of through an organisation called Climate Emergency Manchester. I've got involved in scrutinizing the scrutiny committees of the city council which is kind of like a, a wheeze that I thought was worth trying so I look at the children and young people scrutiny committee and it was brought to uh, the attention just last week of the scrutiny and and uh, of children and young people scrutiny that there's a government white paper that came out in April which may or yeah, out of the DFE which may or may not uh, you know, see the light of day with changes of education minister every five minutes. Um, but the point being, the chair of the committee said at the end of it, this is privatisation of education. 
And it, you know, when you see those examples of inspirational teaching going on there, it is sad to see that we may, there's this thing called MATS, which I've not come across before, multi-academy trusts that can be anywhere over the country and have no democratic control. Yeah, they've been around a while already. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was news to me. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just wanted to throw that into the mix, yeah. really. So thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, as someone who teaches, I think from the film there, I was kind of very aware of the idea of we as teachers are often um, as as we're part of the problem. Let's put it that way. In terms of we have a set criteria of things that we have to cover, and universities and schools want us to cover things that essentially can be shown to get students jobs. That's the be all and end all of it. So there's that whole kind of you know we're, what are we doing? We're preparing people to be economic cogs in a machine, not to think critically or not to examine what they want to do in the world so there's that element to it and I think you're right with the um, environmental thing because I mean you know it was a great line in, in the uh, in the film where it, where it talks about ve vegetables are democratic yeah. and it's kind of like that well they're not anymore do you know what I mean it's actually too expensive to cook fresh food these days, do you know what I mean? And you've got to buy the cheap processed stuff, you know. But even there, isn't she talking yeah, yeah. about, I mean, so, yeah, not so much on the educational side of things, but in terms of the, the vegetable production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there she is marking out these 27 chemicals. Sure. But the government are insisting that they're kind of having to... Um, to put on the... Yeah, 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 she's, exactly. She's an organic farmer. Yeah, yeah. Still struggling even then in, in those days, trying yeah. to sort of struggle with with being able to do that sure and that was what, 75 or 76 mm. wasn't it? i mean again i mean like like in reference to this film being made made now i think that sense maybe even we're at the point where the sense that the cycle is actually being broken if, if people are, are, are kind of very environmentally critical i think that that is possibly an argument that that would be made that's the problem that we're we're undermining the potential for us to recycle. You know, I've, I, I don't know how you feel about this summer, but I feel like something has changed this summer with the the heat. It seems it seems like there is been there has been a sort of sea change in that sense of how different things felt this summer. Yeah, in terms of that, but yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of how desperate we are, it's terrifying to think that all these conversations have been had for yeah. 50, 60 years. Sure, um, and. It, it's we're, we're sort of right at the end and we've got no time left. Mm. Um, I think that's the, the depressing side of this because you think, God, if something was done about it in 1976 and we were taking all these ideas seriously. Mm. Um, um, and it's just, it's, it's the idea that, that, that campaigning for climate is, you know, a, a new idea. It's been since, you know... Mm way before 68 or whatever. He yeah, talked yeah, yeah, about yeah. The, the outcome of 68 being, oh, there's all this stuff now, you know, whole earth societies and macro, whatever, food production and tantric sex and kids running around with dirty faces and messy hair and that's it. But, you know, there were many, 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 many elements of, of that resistance sure. that, you know, was, that, that, that we are still... Um, we're trying to we're embody it, aren't we? And, but but it's it's more and more it's difficult. Too late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, well, hopefully yeah. not too late. Anyway, that is, I was thinking about those two. Those two. I mean, he was in his nineties, wasn't he, when he died? Uh, Berger, 
think, 91. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure, and, yeah. And um, in Alan Tanner, too, 90... 92. 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just thinking kind of um, that, 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 that incredible lifespan and that incredible life experience and the message that they've left, I think, is really hugely important and mm. we should get this film revived yeah 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 we'll have to find out where they sourced it from and get the get it um, onto a disc for sure um any any other questions or comments uh, the lady at the back and then the gentleman in the middle yeah i just wanted to say rather like um my friend at the back here that i'm very grateful you brought this film back because it has very personal connotations for me one of my dearest friends was supposed to come with me tonight has a son called jonah who was born and would almost 25 in the year 2000. Wow. And he was named after this film. And in fact, the closeness of our two families meant that my son, when his son was born, called him Jonah. And we That's wanted awesome. to come and see this film together because we have two Jonas who've both been inspired by this wow. film. Amazing. And of course, it's, it's a film about our generation because we were... Uh, revolutionaries in the 60s, we were teachers in the 70s. Many of the issues that this film touches on are films that affected us very fundamentally. Um, and many of the people I can identify with, I can remember teaching sociology in the mid-70s. Um, and I think certainly teaching has changed dramatically. And this is a time when, and I noticed Piaget's name coming up on the credits at the end, as a time of Ivan Ilyich's de-schooling society and a whole move away from formal education and looking at different ways to school children, different ways to teach children. And I can remember taking my child out of a very formal primary school and putting him into a much more, uh, a much more different environment. It was another school, but it was a school run in very different kinds of ways. I had friends who taught at Summerhill. I had people who were very much in that movement. And I think, um, I don't think we could make a film like that no, at the moment. No. I don't think we could because I think that era of late 60s and 70s was a, a period of, well, it was a very liberative period. It was a period that the beginning of the women's liberation movement. Um, so you had all those kind of experiments with sexuality, people living in communes, people living in a menage a trois. <laughs> you know, all those kind of things were, sure. were happening then, which people like are slightly askance of now if I talk about it. Um, but also it, it, it was a period when people, yes, were looking at society and how we could change it. You know, they were in back rooms with Ronnie Ogerstedt duplicators, um, you know, and, and very involved in all kinds of activities. I think society changed dramatically, certainly in this country in the 80s, because of Thatcherism, mm. a massive sea change. I think today we still have the echoes of that in a significantly more repressive government that, as you say, is, is, sees education purely for what, for in economic terms. Sure. It doesn't look at education in a very, very much wider way. I remember seeing a repeat of Educating Rita <laughs> um, uh, a few months ago, and there's a scene after uh, the tutor has been found drunk um, late at night, and he has to be hauled in front of uh, various committees. And Rita says to him afterwards, did you get the sack? And he went, get the sack? He said, I'd have to bugger the bursar to get the sack. <laughs> and I thought, 
how different education is yes, now. Yes, I mean, the fact that he could continue yeah, 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 to yeah. be so libertarian, he yeah. could teach in the way, yes, he had to get through his syllabus, but the way he did it and mm -hmm. how he did it wasn't prescribed in any way, either by the institution he worked for or the government, who, of course, have taken an increasingly more... Um, uh, re re repressive role and in, mm. and in terms of interfering with education and how teachers teach. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so it's... I think it's a very, it's a fascinating and for me quite sad look back. And um, but maybe society goes in cycles. Mm. I yes. mean, it, yeah, I think as you say, the there are new saying. campaigns, yeah. there are new fights. The environment obviously is one of them. Um, but also, there's 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 also organisations, there's groups now called like Enough is Enough which are beginning to say, how far do we go down this road? And people for the first time after many generations actually are now beginning to talk about trade unions in a different kind of way. You know, whereas I think in the 80s, it was a whole era of killing off the trade union movement. Yeah, I think we're getting to the point where people are actually angry, angry enough again, yes. maybe. You yes, know what I mean? and I think I felt that the other week I went to one of these Enough Enough as a rally and I felt there was a buzz there. There was a sense of... You know, yes, we're mad as hell and we really can't take it anymore. You know, that's another echo from the 70s yeah. that actually people are coming back to it. So maybe we're on a cycle. Yes, yes. yes. Thank I you. think that those themes are very much in, in the film. The yes. idea of the cyclical issues, the way they're bringing up all the, um, the different moments of revolution in history and how that precipitates resistance from all kinds of areas, from an individual place to you know, groups and, com and, and communities ri rising up. I think that's what's so interesting about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Sir, do you want to... Uh... Yes, uh, ju just to say I agree with just about everything <laughs> you just said. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for bringing this film. I feel very emotional having seen it. Um, it's a film that it seems to me is, is full of hope and affirms hopeful things in human beings and I think we need that as as much as we need political ideas in a, in a more narrow sense. Brecht of course said that socialism was a simple thing so difficult to achieve uh, and uh, uh, it seems to me that he also called for an optimism of the will, a pessimism of the intellect perhaps, recognizing what the enemy is like and how powerful that can be but a will, an optimism about the possibilities of the future and of change. Uh, I've sat through that, uh, kind of living all my yesterdays in, when I was 16 years old in 1966, I, was, I joined an anarchist group, uh, and two years later I was in prison. <laughs> having set fire to an army recruiting office and... <laughs> wow. Uh, and, and you uh, lived to tell the tale, at least. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. Um, wow. Prison was extremely unpleasant, I have to say. After that, I went to university. They both taught me a lot. Uh, and I think we've been through a terrible period where hope was very hard to find, but always existed. I'm, for instance, thinking of, of, of those young anarchists that chained themselves to that plane that was going to take people back. To, uh, to the misery and poverty uh, of, of where they'd come from. Uh, and and there w it seems to me that the, what, 
what this film is about is precisely that. It's about hope. Uh, no matter what, there, there is hope in what human beings are capable of. And I seem to be sensing that in many ways, as people have said in the, in the various struggles. The thing that in the last few months has really made me feel so positive again is the rebirth of trade unions willing to fight for the, for the working people of the country, uh, which makes it almost possible for me to watch the news without totally shouting at the television every night. Thank you for bringing this, this film here. Um, it's fantastic. I could watch it again right now. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. Um, it's, it, it certainly does make you kind of think about where we are right now, where hopefully, possibly we could be in a few years' time. I mean, God, yeah, I'm not going to start talking about, you know, party politics or anything like that right now. But I mean, it's just interesting that we we seem to be at a point where the, the if I'm going to call it this, the misery is actually going high enough where there's enough people kind of, hang on a minute, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. And not normally the people who just shrug their shoulders and say, well, yeah, trains are more expensive, you know, food's more expensive. Well, what can you do? You know, I think people are actually saying, well, no, it's not right anymore. Those people who are, you know, quote unquote, middle class are actually feeling that now. And I think that is part of that in combination with the kind of idealism and the, that sense of, yeah, we can make a difference that young people, you know, generally sort of bring. I think those two in combination are, are proving re a, a sort of really powerful moment. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It seems that we're, we're at peak misery at the moment, <laughs> right for, yeah. yeah. Come on, Labour, don't screw it up, for <laughs> Christ's sake. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, anybody else want to, uh, sorry, down at the front. Hi, yeah, th thanks for showing this film. It really was fantastic. Um, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about it is none of us are talking about the camera moves yeah, or the yeah. lighting. <laughs> or, uh, we haven't got to that yet. It's, <laughs> it's, and it's because it's just bursting with ideas and your mind is just racing comparing then to now um, and how there's just so many similarities and themes. And in fact, that these are ordinary people. They're not actually taken to the streets or of course she, Marie ends up in prison but that's just because she's kind to pensioners um, and they cart her off in the end and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know and she's a little bit broken but comes back um, and I, I was just laughing to myself because I was thinking normally when you see classrooms now on the TV or in films the bell goes after about 10 seconds it's always <laughs> to sort of end the scene or to start yeah, yeah. the scene. Now, you never stay in the classroom, really, and talk about yeah. ideas. So when he gets his sausages out, um, it's actually really exciting. And all those scenes with Marco in the classroom yeah, are just fantastic. phenomenal. Yeah. There's no natural um, ends, though. I mean, again, as a filmmaker, you know, it's there doesn't seem to be a kind of like moment of fade to black in any of the sequences. It's They're not jump cuts, but they're abrupt. Yeah, cuts, they are, aren't they, they, you also, know? they also linger at the end uh, of a yeah. scene after the dialogue's ended and it's not like the actors have been told and carry on and improvise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like let that awkwardness exist always yeah. because there's just a sort of little moment of something really interesting when the characters are still sort of fitting and then they cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do that almost every For scene. sure. And, yeah. and, and I think there are really recognisable... Mm -hmm kind of visual well I, I, first, first of all the scene with the gun in the mirror I'm sure Martin Scorsese nicked that 
And then when you like, for example, in the supermarket, there's something right. We all go to oh, supermarkets, supermarkets, right? Look on on film, film, though, they look yeah. like, but they look like dystopian nightmares. Like, like you'd never want to go in a supermarket like again. The, you know? the, my favourite supermarket one is the Ipcris file. Yeah. <laughs> the the, the uh, Stepford Wives. Right. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And the music, that music in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah, God, so, yeah. They always do. Just they're really compelling to watch, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you sort of when you're actually in them, you just want to get out. Of them. Sure. Yeah. I love that in, in in the schoolroom as well. I love the little girl knitting, just like it's just yeah. awesome, you know. They were lovely, weren't they? All the <laughs> students, and I don't know who. I don't. I, every time I watch it, I really admire the costuming. I mean, I know it's just that was contemporary costume, but they, it's so beautifully observed, like all mm. their um, their colours and how sort of individual each sure. character is and you know you know almost what they're going to wear next and there's not too many costumes per person they're just you know they've got a sure. really really strong identity per character yeah, yeah, yeah so beautiful the textures and colors and stuff it's interesting when you see that like films that have been shot like this i mean the director he made movies by uh, collaborating with swiss television and he made them on a small on 16 millimeter and had them blown up to 35 and that's how he got his first uh, film made um which is charles dead or alive have i got that right yes. yeah it is. um which unfortunately was on movie but now i think it's disappeared it's so you can watch that well, or you could watch that now he's passed away yes they Yesterday, may put it back I yeah well one last one last question sir go ahead to finish us off the fact, I mean, Berger was living, was he not, in Switzerland, set in Switzerland, and then is that politics between Switzerland and France uh, still relevant in the same kind of way, or is it less so now, yeah, it's all EU? I just wonder. No, I don't know. I like that thing about the having having to have the, um, the um, pass to work between the two countries. Yeah. And uh, maybe, I, I thought, when I first watched it, I thought it was because she wouldn't have been able to afford to live near where she worked. And then it seemed that she wasn't allowed, maybe because she's a French citizen, but because it was on the border, she was allowed to... Yeah, that was very specific, that. Yeah, I don't was, know whether there was yeah. a particular, you know, law in terms of the relationship between the two countries. I mean, um, just to finish, the, the other character I really loved was the old, the old guy. I don't know... That actor looks familiar to me. I don't know oh, if... Oh, God, he's it, brilliant, isn't he? I can't think... Maybe he's in Melville movies. That's what he looked like. He was sort of a, you know, a, used to be a gangster type, but what a voice, mm. you know? Yeah, which I, I wish he was still alive. Get him on the podcast with that voice. Bass as well, yes. and just a beautiful actor. Really brilliant. Amazing. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. First of all, please thank Caroline for fly, flying in and uh, participating in this. Thank you very much for... Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming to see it. It was such a brilliant... I love that film so much. Can you say anything about what you're working on right now or not? Um, yeah, no, no I, I can, as long okay. as you don't put it on your podcast. Oh, okay, right. Well, I'll wrap up first, and then you can tell people. Um, so, yeah, the show will be... I will have edited it and will put it out by the end of the week. Uh, we do a little intro and an outro, so there's a bit extra to what you guys have done here. It's called The Cinematologist, so just Google that. Please subscribe, tell your friends about it. Um, yeah, we'll, we've, we've got lots of stuff coming up this, this season, so it should be really good. Thank you all for coming out on a Tuesday evening. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hope, hope to see you again in Manchester. Thank you. Est-ce que ce sera mieux pour toi? Le mieux est systématiquement écarté. Je dirais, on ne décidera plus pour nous. La première fois, il ne se passera peut-être rien. La dixième fois, il y aura un comité. La centième fois, une grève. Et la cent unième. Encore une leçon de lecture pour toi. 
Jonas, autant de fois que je serai sur mon vélo pour aller au travail. Non, plus, autant de fois que les jours de ma vie. So, wow, what a, what a Q&A that, that was. Um, well, first of all, thanks very much to Jesse and the team uh, from Manchester Home uh, Cinema for being so organised and welcoming and just, you know, making sure that everything ran really smoothly. And also thanks to Jason Wood for helping set this up before he moved on to the uh, the BFI. It was, it, it, you know, it's an amazing venue and I'm not surprised that he's been there for, for so long. But... James, you were at the screening. You were in the audience there. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start? What do you want? What did you make of the film? What did you make of the event as a whole? Um, I mean, the film was just fantastic. It it just went to places that um, you know cinema doesn't go that often anymore. It was it was so much a film of ideas and um, trying to look at you know, the way people lived then and how they struggled to to find meaning in, you know, in their existence with very little narrative drive. You know, it was a series of series of different scenes, really, and following characters around that you just sort of and that there was unpredictable and surprising and you had dream sequences. But if you're asking, you know, if you're asked to describe it to someone, it's almost impossible to do. And that was what was so brilliant about it. We, I was, I was with it all the way, in spite of the fact that there was hardly any narrative, narrative sort of momentum in it. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel about the fact that the Jonah of the title? kind of never really arrived until the very end. I mean, I, at one point, I was, like, worried. I was like, is this film, like, three hours long and I've misread it? Because th- I, I kind of expected this kid to turn up halfway through and then, you know, would have sort of been affected by these eight characters. But I, I had to sort of put that to b- the back of my mind, thinking, who is this character going to be, you know? Yeah, I think what was what was really clever and insightful about the film was that 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 title was a bit of a a tease, you know, where you're thinking, who is Jonah? And when is he going to show up? Or is the title a complete misdirect? Um, And so it keeps you going. It keeps you wanting to discover who he is and what his significance will be. And then someone gets pregnant and you're thinking, oh, that's probably going to be Jonah in a few months' time. Um, but not for a long time. And so it's it's one of the sort of seeds that's planted at the start that keeps you hanging on, you know, so you could make that discovery when it happens. And then it, it does become incredibly meaningful in this world of these adults who are all really struggling and confused and experimenting with life and trying to find a path through it you know this child is born into that world and will have his own journey you know uh, over the next 25 years of his life and you know we just obviously see a little bit of that but it it was really clever you know having said before the screening that that it was a cumbersome title and uh, you know it actually it actually really lands when you see the film because you're waiting for that moment yeah. Was Jonah an immaculate conception? I I couldn't work out whether I'd missed you know that whether there was a kind of moment of Yeah, <laughs> I know, have the, to ask Caroline the, who's seen it 
you know, numerous times, whether that's because I felt like uh, with a film like this, you pick up a lot of it. But I'm absolutely certain that, you know, with repeated viewings, you'll see all sorts of other things and, and find other other buttons being pushed that you that, that weren't there first time around. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. That's a good question. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's kind of like there's these eight characters sort of who become... I mean, they've all got their own lives, but as the film progresses, they kind of come together, don't they, and spend more time with each other in this one particular... I think farmhouse is the wrong word, but, you know, like a, a, the, the one house in the country that there were... Almost becomes a commune, really. And I, I just... Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't work out whether the the mother of Jonah had you know a relate or maybe that was just open you know open ended and it didn't explain explain it to you but one of the things that I I was kind of in the Q and A because of the way that the Q and A went and we'll get to that in a second I I didn't want to sort of push the the more uh, cynical pessimistic viewpoint that I think the film actually does have underneath. I mean, it does have a kind of idealism and a hope behind it, which is what, you know, a lot of people commented on on the Q&A. But also I think that this was a sort of an example of a director who is playing around with that age-old problem of the, the socialist, the possibilities of a socialist utopia and how they're, continually thwarted so you know whether that's just because of the power of the economic system but then in the in the commune the people are bringing their own bringing their own psychologies and their own hypocrisies and their own hierarchies it never can be this perfect egalitarian utopia and you see them having arguments and the you know one of the one of the the couples that were together um the female character gets gets really annoyed at the at the man who's kind who's kind of it's my politics to not do any work. Do you know what I mean? So I I wondered how what you thought about that because I mean and whether you felt it was kind of a hopeful film or there was a sort of undercurrent of pessimism that that sort of socialist idea has never kind of really come to fruition in in reality. You know? Yeah, I think overall it was uh, it was difficult to to sort of see these characters really get nowhere with what on the face of it should be an achievable goal, you know. Um, but the film would clearly say, said that, you know, the, this idealism of socialism, um, you know, is not achievable in the, the world we live in with the sort of capitalist model that, that we're a part of in Europe. And, um, and yet the music, the performances, the humour you know, the, the different characters and the experiences they have, that wonderful scene where the kids are all sliding down this muddy bank and then the adults are all sliding down this muddy bank, you know, that even in their their disappointment and their misery, you know, there's always there's always humour and so there's always hope in that regard. But with, with regard to the, you know, the bigger picture of, of what the film was trying to say, it was like, it's worth the struggle, but you know, to, to just to try and push against this system. But as things stand at the moment, you know, it doesn't seem possible. And the thing that was obviously everyone in the room felt, you know, this was made in 1976, you know, the struggle uh, was was felt then and it's felt in exactly the same way now. I mean, it was just so prescient, you know, that, that these people are sort of making ends meet um you know what the wonderful character of marie who's giving 
uh, pensioners in her supermarket um, free food and then gets thrown in jail for it. You know, all these people trying to be kind, trying to help people, trying to come up with some model that will make life happier and more achievable and, and less of a struggle for everyone. And yet, you know, they all end up losing in a way. And yet they have each other, you know, and that's what film can do. You know, you're sort of ultimately you realize, you know, this is a set of actors acting out some ideas from a script or an improvised script. And uh, but it but it felt so the characters felt so real. And and so uh, it was so touching to see them fall in and out with each other. Um and, you know, considering it was so long ago, you just felt like all these themes are still in our lives now. And it's just brilliant when cinema does that. Without a shadow of a doubt, it was just incredible how I was just thinking so many ways that, oh, God, that's just that's just happening now. You know, that that, that is something we're thinking about all the time. That's something we're wrestling with all the time. And even like the representation of women and we didn't really touch on this and, and Caroline in the bar afterwards was like, Oh God damn it. I wish I'd have uh, talked more about that, you know? And uh, I think she's going to, she's going to phone me up and we're going to record some voice notes about, about that because I know she wanted to talk more about that, but it kind of crept. Um, I think that the, the intention of the director was to try and make the men and women again, sort of more egalitarian, but there was still a kind of, you know, that, that male auteurist viewpoint kind of crept in, I think uh, uh, at the edges. I don't know whether you agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that may be the times it was made in, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'd be really interested to see what Caroline thought of that since she's seen this film a lot. And, you know, I feel like, you know, we need to watch it again to see see it from these different angles so we can watch it. Because there's so much to take in on the first viewing, you know, not just within the characters and their stories, but the structure of it, the way they filmed it and you know, the way it just leaps from one idea to another to another into dream sequences and so on. But yeah, that was definitely, you know, because it was also its time and we were sort of really loving being in that time period and seeing these costumes and, you know, it's obviously a, a world where there's no internet and no no real technology is apparent. People are sitting around tables peeling potatoes or chopping onions and talking to each other, you know, which is something that's sort of gone now <laughs> because everything is communication is through through technology for the for the most part now. People don't even speak as much as they type now. So it was so invigorating really to see them all sitting around a table bashing out their dreams of socialism to each other, all with different variations. It was it was a real pleasure. We whilst, you know, making their own food and drinking whatever they were drinking it, it was very sort of nostalgic in that regard and yet what they were talking about fear of losing their job how nothing's changed you know how the, the ideological stuff about the exploitation of the workers and so on you know that stuff that's that's happening you know this year in our country you you see it everywhere now and so it was just so prescient amazing yeah 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 and, and and maybe just to to finish off we could we could sort of mention the Q&A itself because like I said beforehand it was you never know what sort of audience you're going to get especially for a film like this and there were just there were a couple of absolute just beautiful stories there you know reactions to the movie that were in, seemed intensely personal you know I think that the woman who spoke about wanting to bring her friend, you know, she was on the verge of tears when she was uh, when she was talking about the film, and it was just, re yeah, it was really poignant. I thought, yeah, for sure. And she, 
I mean, that story about these two children who were called Jonah because of this film, you know, was just amazing. And, and it was so tantalizing that she didn't really say why they weren't here, but it was so tantalizing that 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 was a part of it. And, and I'm, I'm sure from a cinematic point of view, the fact that it's so hard to see this film, that I'm sure a lot of people in in the room, I mean, we weren't a massive group, but it was a, you know, it was a really, it was a really good group had, had come because it's so hard to see this film. And that's what, you know, cinema can do sometimes. We all have different tastes and some of us have favorite films that nobody's ever heard of and so on. And so occasionally they pop up somewhere and of course you rush back to see them on the screen because it's so much more meaningful there but yeah she had a very strong reaction and then the gentleman who had been in prison and had really fought you know literally fought by the sounds of it for for his marxist ideals if i'm remembering that correctly for him to to talk about that life that, that he would had back then and then gone into was it teaching and uh, it was absolutely fascinating that 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 this film had sort of brought these these two life experiences out into the room uh, to be shared. It was it was it was really brilliant to be there to hear that. Yeah, it really sort of uh, it made you know it made it all worthwhile on a level that that went beyond just the either the pleasure of watching or you know the the more critical intellectualizing that we we tend to do an awful lot maybe too much on the podcast but generally when we're talking about films it seems we're maybe outside of that that sense that they they hold a a political a social and a and a, a cultural value that that maybe they they once did but it just shows you that that cinema can still do that and maybe maybe it is like these small events you know, um, I'm sure, as you know, the idea of repertory cinema in, in the UK it is kind of non-existent really outside London. I mean, I know obviously Manchester Home will do occasional things like this, but everybody has to, and especially coming out of COVID, I think cinemas have to just try and get audiences back. So I don't know, like you say, I'm hoping to get the um, the details about where this was sourced from the film and, and see if we can get um, a, a sort of copy copy available because there isn't it's very hard to get get a hold of but yeah i mean it it sort of restored my faith again in the idea of the cinematic experience being able to really touch your soul for you know if i want to get all you know wishy-washy about it yeah no it it was definitely it was definitely there that yeah it's it's hard to talk about because exactly you don't want to go over the top about it but there's something about being in a cinema and seeing a film that um, looks and feels as old as that film is from 1976. And, you know, even seeing the sprocket, well, not the sprocket marks, but the real change marks in the top right, whatever the transfer was done, the way the graphics kind of wobbled a bit. And and all that is just, you know, that's the history of, of what what we've been through in in our lifetime of watching films and to sort of be taken back to that was also like a deep pleasure but being able to see this film you know for, for me just to be able to to be in manchester and just turn up and <laughs> see it is amazing you know because i don't know how else i would have seen it you know unless it had been on at the, as you say at the bfi in london no one else is is going to be showing this i mean maybe because alan tanner's died there might be a few more retrospectives of his work around where people can see it. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just so glad to see it on the screen. 
Brilliant. Well, well, thanks so much, James, for doing this at short notice. I uh, I really appreciate it, and for suggesting Blood Simple, which I'm sure you're really up for. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll talk about it at the time, but yeah, the the Cohen brothers are uh, you know are very important to me, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to talking about where it all started for them. Brilliant. Well, this has been the the first episode of the new season. I just want to say thanks so much to uh, Caroline Katz, really. I mean, she flew back over from a job that she's doing in Europe to fulfill her promise to to do this because we planned it for so long. And she could have really easily just said, look, look guys, I, I just can't do it. I've got this big job on. But she didn't. She came back. She was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we're, we're so glad that she's become a, a friend of the, the podcast, you know, a, a, along with James. So, so, so great to have such... Um, you know, wonderful film people uh, on board for for our continuing journey on the show. Um, and yeah, welcome back to everybody who is uh, listening. I'm probably going to record a, a bonus on maybe talking a little bit about Goddard. I know we haven't mentioned him conspicuous by his absence on this on this podcast, but yeah, maybe I'll I'll, I'll talk a little bit about about his uh, legacy on the bonus episode. But until next time. That is it. Thank you for listening. This has been the Cinematologist Podcast. Mm-hmm.